welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwanika. So last week, we kicked off this series in uh, Tales Around the Table, and it's all about sitting around a table as a first-generation Christian church and figuring out what it means to, to follow Jesus and to be filled with the Holy Spirit and, and to be led into spaces where they never thought that they would go in order to carry the gospel into the world. So Taiki kicked us off last week. And he spoke about intercessory prayer, the role of prayer as you journey and taking Jesus into the world around you. And if you haven't listened to that sermon, you have to listen to it. It is, it is such a foundational word for what we are doing for the next few weeks. Now today, we are talking about evangelism at the redemptive edge. Okay. So at this point, many of you might say evangelism means what? Redemptive edge means what? Okay, so we are going to immediately explain it. Evangelism, if we go to Acts 1 verse 8 to 9, it's very clear what it says, and this is now again in Acts, the first generation church. Jesus had died, he was resurrected, and now the last thing that he says to his disciples, the very last thing before he ascends to heaven to sit on the right hand of God, he says the following, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching him and a cloud took him out of their sight. What is evangelism? Is carrying Jesus in the world around you. Carrying Jesus into the world around you, and not just in your safe space. It's carrying Jesus step by step by step by following him into the world. Now it's very clear here that there was a progressive nature of carrying Jesus into the world. Now, how do you carry Jesus into your world? You put him in your backpack. You put him on your laptop. How do you carry Jesus into the world? You carry Jesus into the world by talking about him, teaching about him, witnessing about what he had done in your life with the intention to persuade. Not telling people, you know, Jesus is really, really cool, and then you, you keep everything else for yourself. Telling them Jesus is cool because this is what he has done in my life. Just imagine what he can do in your life. Now, the pressure is not on us to convince people. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But the, the anointing is on each and every one of us to carry Jesus and what he has done into our world. And the Holy Spirit will convince at the time that is right. So that's evangelism. Now, at the redemptive edge at the redemptive edge. 
Now, being at the edge or on the edge in this context is where you go to a place where Jesus sends you, but you know that it's like there's risk here. There's a problem here. There's risk. Something can go wrong at the space that Jesus sends you. Because there you have to share a word or you have to receive a word, and you know that it's risky. Has anybody been in that place? God sends you and you know, ah, it might not all go so well here. Now, a few weeks ago, I told you about my wife and I traveling to Italy for her birthday and me getting incarcerated in an Italian jail. Did I tell you that story? I did. Don't judge me. It was a mistake. I forgot my passport with the right visa. I had another passport there. So he incarcerated me, deported me. And then the very next year, I felt God say, Bosov, you and Blader need to go to Rome. And I went like, it must be like the wrong connection here. How can you take us back to Rome? Because I've got the mark of the beast now in my passport. There's a thing that they stamp it, and then they draw little lines across it, and that thing says to any passport control officer, this person is a spy. They should not be in a country. They have been deported. I said, Lord, you know I've got the mark of the beast in my passport. How can I go back to Rome? And the Lord said, I want to teach you something that you need to know for the next little while in your journey with me. It took some convincing to tell Blader that we're going to go again. She said, if you get incarcerated again, you're on your own. <laughs> I'm not going to be there. So we went, and now we're standing in a line. We're standing in this queue, and I'm listening for the passport control officer that can actually understand English and can speak it well, because this is going to take an explanation, right? I've got the right passport with the right visa now, but they're going to see on the system, this guy is like code red, and I went to the person that I heard speak the best English, and Blaine and I are standing there. I'm sweating. I'm like, I'm stressed now because this person can just say, mm-mm, same story as last time. And we're standing in the queue, and um, this person, as before, looks at Blaine's passport, put it on the screen. Everything is green. Stamp her. Thank you. And then I come, put it on the screen. As, as she picks up the javel to stamp it, she goes like, oh, <laughs> No. And I knew, okay, there's a problem, this one. But then it's as if she is struck with an inability to speak English. She goes like, previously, previously, and I go, yeah, I'm playing stupid here. <laughs> previously, 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 and after a few minutes of previously, previously, she stamps us and we go through. I walking just saying, what police officer is going to follow me here? Because this is like surreal. And God teaches me the very last evening, wakes me in a dream, and he teaches me something that I desperately needed to be able to navigate the next little while in our business. That is what I mean being at the edge with God. Now, there's a guy in New York. He's an Australian guy. How he ends up in New York, I don't know. He's John, his name is John Tyson. If you can listen to his sermons, he's absolutely amazing. He's a pastor at Church of the City of New York, and he coined this phrase, the redemptive edge. So if we're talking about evangelism at the redemptive edge, he says, evangelism at the redemptive edge, that redemptive edge is where heaven and hell are at war 
for the outcome of the world. It is where heaven and hell are at war for the outcome of the world. That is where the redemptive edge sits. Now, John Tyson sits, um, puts this thing up and he says, the redemptive edge is that little line that you have on the right-hand side of the screen there. But it's very hard to walk towards the redemptive edge because as Christians, all of us, even if you're not a Christian, we default to a space of comfort. So what does a space of comfort feel like, look like? That is when you wake up in the morning on a Sunday morning and uh, you don't feel like church and you hit the snooze button and then you hit it again. And then to make you feel a bit better, you go like, oh, this week. I'm so weak after this week. This has been, you know, I had to do things that God has placed on my heart, and it was hard. So I can't go to church. And then you forget the fact the reason why you can't go to church is because you went out all hours of the night on the Saturday, and that's the reason why you can't go to church. Jolly Roger, there are other places here. How do you know Jolly Roger? There's a, there's a ministry moment at the end here. Okay. The next step that we take is where you then say, okay, so I realize that there is something to be had and something to be learned and something to be experienced when I am with the people of God, when I spend time in His Word. So now I go like every second weekend, I go to church every fourth time, I go to the community group, and I hear that people are, people are hearing from God and sending me on a mission, but now your friends start to get cautious about you, and they go, oh... You like a proper Christian person, hey? You, you don't go to coffee at Plato's on a Sunday morning anymore, and you don't go like cycling with us, but they're just cautious. Then you take a next step, and now you start sharing your faith with people, and now they get concerned, and now they say, okay, is something wrong with you? Are you all right? Do you have a problem? Why are you strange? Why are you now talking about this Jesus person all the time? And then you step into a next step. And this is the point of criticism where you start carrying the truth of Jesus into your life and the people around you. The truth that Jesus has around um, relationships, sexual relationships before marriage, for example. Or about sexual identity. Or about taxes or about not being corrupt in your business. Now you carry the truth of Jesus into your environment, and all of a sudden there's a backlash of criticism towards you. Hey, you're judgmental now. Why are you judging me? What do you want to do? And the reason why people start criticizing you is because you are threatening their comfort zone. And then Jesus says, this is the place where John, John says, uh, Tyson, he says, this is where we then retreat back to comfort and caution and so on. Because it's a difficult place to be when people that you care about and care about you criticize you. And he says, stay there. Because that's where the redemptive edge is. Because that is the place where darkness is. And that is the place where Jesus wants you to carry him into. Not into your comfort zone or to be... He wants you to be at that edge, and He had modeled for us what it looks like at that edge. Because Jesus, at His time, He walked into a place where um, He dealt with people that nobody wanted to deal with. He was contending in the darkness for the light. 
Because he was speaking to people, for example, like sinners. And he had been lambasted about, okay, so why are you having dinner, having drinks, being with people that are not of God? And he said, this is what I have been called for. This is where I need to be. He spent time with women. And in those times, women weren't part of ministry. And he spent time with a lady called Mary Magdalene, where he chased out seven demons out of her. And she was the person that then saw him for the first time when he was the resurrected Lord. He went to a place called Samaria. Nobody went to Samaria. He went there. He went there, and because he was there, there was a revival that broke out in that place. That's where Jesus was. Jesus modeled for us being at the edge, contending in the darkness for the light. And Leslie Newbigin writes it this way. He says, I think the deepest motive for mission, now mission is God calling you to carrying him in, and evangelism is the act of carrying him into the world around you. He says, I think the deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is, on the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. That's where he wants us. That is where he wants us. Evangelism at the redemptive edge. Now, we're going we're gonna to take a, a next step. And then out of Acts, learn what the first generation church had to learn about evangelism at the redemptive edge. And then we're going to take a next step and say, if this is true, if this was true for the first generation church, what does evangelism mean today? And where is the redemptive edge in 2022, 2023, and for the next decade? Can we do that? Worthwhile endeavor. And then there's coffee after. Very good. Okay. Acts 13 was 1 to 4. Acts 13, 1 to 4. We're only going to go four verses, and then we're going to go deep into what God had done here. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Serene, and Manalisi, no Manane, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, Paul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after they fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And then in the rest of Acts 13, 14, 15, and so on, Paul and Barnabas, John Mark and others are on mission carrying Jesus into the world around them. So let's start with the first thing that we need to understand here, and that is the process of evangelism. The process of evangelism. So I grew up in a, in a very Christian Afrikaans school, and what evangelism looked like in, in my school when I was, yes, I was at school. That, that was a very long time ago. And in that school, evangelism looked like this. The kids that were in like the churchy area, they would take Jesus and they would walk up to you and they would ram him down your throat. And if you did not accept him, you were ostracized and you were pushed out of the way. 
that didn't work so well for me. Okay, so there's a process to evangelism. That if we understand what God says here, this is the process that He wants to share. The first point of this process is, what did these people do? As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the first step of evangelism, of knowing where to carry God into, who to speak to, how to speak to them, is to submit ourselves and our hearts to prayer, in prayer to God. Quieting yourself, your spirit, your want, your need, your agenda to God. And emboldened by worship, emboldened by fasting to hear from Him. That's the first step in stepping into the world. The second step is then, when you hear from God with a submitted heart, is to start speaking the utterances, what you hear from Him, and we call that the prophetic. Hearing from God and just speaking to people about what you hear, that's the prophetic. And what did they hear? They, they said, set apart people to go and send them. That's what they heard. And then the next step is the step of action. Now when God spoke to do. And the big word in the Christian language is then the apostolic. So it's the prayer, then the prophetic hearing from God and uttering it, and then the apostolic actually going and doing it. So these people that were in my school that rammed Jesus down my throat because I got in their way and they were in the mood for evangelism, okay, so they didn't really help me because they didn't follow the process that is captured in Acts 13. Then the people that park off in the comfort zone or maybe in the caution zone or maybe the concern, that is not what Jesus has called us to do. Jesus has called each and every one of us to submit our hearts before Him. And because we have submitted hearts before Him to step into the world, understanding what He sees, and then stepping into the spaces that He has prepared for us. The next point here is the calling of evangelism. There's a process, and then there is a calling to evangelism. Acts 12, verse 2. So as they worshiped the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. So you might be sitting here and you're saying, okay, so evangelism... Not so much. I haven't been called to evangelism. There are evangelists. There are teachers. There are pastors. There are all the people. I'm not one of them. Go and read Acts 1, 8 to 9. All of us have been called to carry Jesus into our world. And then you might be sitting here and saying, okay, so uh, also not so much. Because when I read the Bible, it means that it says that the world will just get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And when it gets to its worst point, Jesus will come again. All I have to do is get saved, get more people saved around me, and keep my head down. It's not what the Bible teaches. Why would in four Gospels there be an account where Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like on earth. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like on earth. Why would he give us the power of the Holy Spirit? Why will he give us the mandate to conquer the darkness through his light in the last statement that he makes when he ascends to heaven? If you're sitting here and you're saying, I'm going to keep my head down because the heaven is going to come at a later point in time, you are not understanding what God has called you to. When you snooze the button each and every Sunday, 
when you go into your workplace and you just do your job and you don't understand that you are there to do his job. Guys, girls, we're missing something of God's heart, God's mandate, God's purpose for you. In the U.S., 50 years, in 2050, the U.S. church will be 50% smaller than it is today. In 2050, why? Because the older generation is passing away and the younger generation has nothing to live for. They do not understand that there is a mandate for them to step into the world and bring light into the darkness. And because they don't feel mandated to do anything, they are leaving the church and they're doing their own thing. There is something that we need to understand about the unctioning of a God of what He has for you and what He wants from you in stepping into this world. And that's why He says you are set apart. When you are set apart from something is you're busy with something here and that you have to walk away from. And many of us are not at the redemptive edge of evangelism in our lives. Why? Because we're busy with good things. We're busy with great things. We might even be busy with godly things. But it might not be the thing that God has for you now. So at the beginning of this year, God called me and my family out of the good, great, godly things that we were doing. Now, in my career as, a, as an investment banker and investment manager, when you get my, to my age, you've got another 15 years to do good things because now you're at a level in the organization where you can actually have input, where you can have input and people actually listen to you and things get done. This is the point in your career where you can really, really pocket money and give it to the church and give it to various places and ministries and missions. And God came and He called us and He said, that might be good, that might be godly, that might be great, but it's not me for you now. I'm setting you apart. He, he literally took me out of Santon. He took me out of Santon into a place where I had no idea where I'm going. No idea. But He said, I want to set you and your family apart for what I want to do through your life. Will you follow me? That is the conviction and the prayer being set apart for God that I believe that He wants for each and every one of you sitting in this room listening to my voice. This is not for other people. This is for you. But if you are not willing to be set apart, you will never be able to step into the redemptive edge because you will be busy with so many different things that might be godly, good, or great. But it not, not be God for you now. Makes sense. Evangelism at the redemptive edge. Verse 4. Where is the redemptive edge? So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they went to Cyprus. You see, the point is, in this scripture, the redemptive edge at that time was the edge between the Jews and the Gentiles. 
It was the place where the Jews knew about God, but God sent them into dark places, into the Greek world, into the Roman world to say, it is now time. The time is now. You have to discern under prayer and the prophetic to step out in the apostolic and contend for me in the place that is probably most difficult in your environment, this cusp between the Jews and the Gentiles, because the Jews had no power. It was the Romans, it was the Greeks, they had the power, they had the influence, but God sends this small nation with insignificant power to change the world so that 2,000 years later, 3 billion people of the 8 billion people on earth would serve Him. That is where He sent us into. And now my question for the rest of our discussion is, where does the redemptive edge lie in 2022 2023 because those are the spaces that we need to practically understand what God is saying where people were praying and have received his word and prophetically spoken into the world and what I want to share with you now is the the 10 years of prayer that this world went into. We think we sit at the tip of Africa we are part of God's kingdom part of God's world and for 10 years this world prayed and it started with a guy called Graham Power that heard God's voice and he God said you go and you hire the the Newland Stadium and you have people pray there and from that place 10 years later millions of people hundreds of countries on the same day prayed and tried to hear God's voice submitting their country submitting their will submitting their agendas to him it started in South Africa, this, this prayer movement that just washed across the globe. And then for 10 years after that, the, the whole prayer movement became from the global day of prayer, having an event to hear God, to the global voice of prayer to say, okay, if I hear this, what is God saying? What is the prophetic? And from the tip of Africa, the global voice of prayer washed across the prophetic um, elders of this world. And what they heard for 10 years, what they heard was based on the scripture, Revelation 21, 24, and 26. Now, you need to please just keep with me here. There was prayer for 10 years. There was prophetic for 10 years. And that discernment globally zoned in on this verse of what does Jesus want to do now? It says the nations, the redeemed people of the earth will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring into it their glory. Verse 26, and they will bring the glory, splendor, majesty and the honor of the nations into it. So what this says is many people across the globe are Christian. These are nations, the redeemed people of the earth. 83% of South Africans say they're Christian. But they might be parking off in a comfort zone or some other zone. 80% of Africa say they're Christian. 40% of Americans say they are Christian. So they are redeemed people of the earth. But what the prophets are saying is that this shift will now be the redeemed people bringing their majesty and their splendor and submitting it before the Lord. And this is the time in history where culture, the secularist culture, must be redeemed back from darkness. This is the time where the economic system of capitalism needs to be redeemed back to God. 
from darkness. This is the place where the social system and the divide between rich and poor need to be redeemed back to God. This is where the political system, where the democratic functions only serve some, need to be redeemed back from God. What are the kings bringing their glory, their splendor, and their majesty? It's the systems that hold us all together. Those systems are now at the edge of darkness. These systems are sitting at the edge of of darkness. This is the redemptive edge. This is where God is calling us to. This is where God is saying, carry me in to the culture, carry me into the politics, carry me into the economic system, carry me into the social system. What does that mean? It means that it's not the pastor's job. It is your and my job. Because the pastor doesn't get into a bank. The pastor doesn't get into an engineering firm. The pastor doesn't get into politics. It's you and I. God is calling us to that place in these systems where the war is raging between hell and heaven for the outcome of this globe. And my question is whether we will respond. Now, in this last little bit, I'm going to get very, very practical because in 10 years of prophecy, the battlegrounds have been articulated where God said, okay, there's a war in these systems that are raging. I want you to step into this war, but I want you to focus on these battlegrounds. And these battlegrounds, if you would put it up for me, we start at the top there. It's the battleground of prayer. If you go clockwise, ethics, family, infrastructure, finance, communication, and technology. These are the battlegrounds that have been laid and that God is calling us into. So as you're sitting here, God, through His Spirit, is tugging at you. And He wants to share with you what you thought was just a job or what you thought was just a place or a thing to study, what you thought was just your, your business. If you understand that this is at the redemptive edge, you will, you will engage in that world totally differently. And it's my prayer, Holy Spirit, that your, your hearts will be opened through His power to listen to what He has to say to you now. You will not walk out of here and say, okay, so that was a great sermon. I don't know what to do on Monday. You will know what to do on Monday because the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you in the context of this framework. Okay, so there is a war raging, heaven and hell, in economics, culture, social, political systems. And this is where it starts, prayer. There is a war in prayer, and there needs to be warriors that are called up to prayer. Warriors that are saying, Lord, for Bandile, I want to hear for him where you want to send him. He might not want to move, but you want to move him, just an example. And I want to share your word with him. And then when Bandile goes or when Michael goes, I want to cover them with prayer. If there is a war between heaven and hell, it is a spiritual war. That there are intercessors in prayer. Go and listen to last week's message. There are intercessors that are required to hear God's voice and then to cover the warriors as they go in. 
And these warriors that are stepping in, I'm thinking like Moses standing on the hill and his hands being held up by her and by Aaron. And he prays and he holds his hand over. There are your grandmothers, your grandfathers, your fathers, your mothers. They need to be called up to prayer for clarity for your hearts and then for covering as you are doing things that God has sent you to do in strange and difficult places. There is a war, there's a battle around prayer. There's a battle around ethics. Each and every one of us, if we want to redeem this culture of this world back to God, we need to do things right. And we need to model things right. And it's not only for Tuli Madonzela. It's not only for a national prosecuting authority. It's not only for the guys and girls that are studying law and accounting that bring ethics into the world. And if it's not there to actually go after people, it is for all of us. In the way that we fill out a tax return, in the way that we, that we take a pen from the office, in the way that I ask my mate while I'm doing an online exam for the answers. These are all the things where ethics are redeemed back to God and a culture is set back into place. Family. Families around Africa are broken. Why is it broken? It's because poor people move to the urban areas, they leave their kids and their, and their wives there, and they go and work in a different place. Family system broken. The social system of this world is based on the fabric of family. And families are broken. White kids that study here, I don't understand a government that would pay with subsidized studies for white kids, won't allow them to get jobs to a certain point, and they have to bugger off, and then those families are also broken. Black families, white families in this country are torn apart. And there's a battle raging to bring those families back together again. So if you are in the healthcare industry, or the mental health industry, and the social work industry, if you understand that this is the battle that is raging, you will show up to a father and a mother and a teenager that is in distress. You will show up in a different way because you understand that the battle is raging there. And I want to draw them together. Why? Because the social system of this world would be redeemed back to God if the family unit is back together. If you're sitting there and you haven't spoken to your mom and your dad for months because you're angry at each other about something, you know what? You're losing the battle. Maybe the practical thing as you walk out of here is to pick up the phone and phone your dad. Phone your mom. There's a battle raging and God is sending us into it. Infrastructure. There was a report that came out recently, the South African Institute of Civil Engineers did a 2022 infrastructure report card. If you look at South Africa, half of it, of the infrastructure is not usable. And guess what? That infrastructure sits where? In the poor areas. How train works, lacquer, world class. It sits where the rich people stay. Sanitation, schools, education, Dams, other infrastructure in the rural areas where the poor live. It's not usable. And many people here are called civil engineering, structural engineering, um, quantity surveying, builders. You have been called to show up in your space of building infrastructure to bring this divide between the rich and the poor together to give all of us a dignity of the place that we live and work in. If you're sitting here and you're an engineer and you say, engineers, God can't do anything with engineers. I'm going to make money because I can make a lot of money and I'll apply it back into the church. You are missing where the battle is raging. 
Infrastructure is another point. Finance is another point. Capitalism has to be redeemed back to God. Has to. Communications has to be redeemed back to God. I'm stopping here with economics because I can give you like a two-hour lecture on economics of mutuality and what God is doing and redeeming capitalism back to it. You can watch this space. We can chat about it later. Communications in the way that we tell stories, in the way that we redeem the internet back to God. This is where people that study design and study many things relating to technology and the internet and information and so on and so forth, it needs to be redeemed back to God, not be a tool of Satan in order to draw the world back into its claws. It is God's technology. If his sons and the daughters would get up and redeem it at the redemptive edge through evangelistic actions. Romans 8 verse 19, and this I close with, and Mana, if you guys wouldn't mind coming up. Romans 8 verse 19. I'm going to paraphrase it first. Romans 8 19 says, The world is waiting for you. The world is waiting for you to hear God's voice Step out of the comfort zone that you are sitting in. Press past the caution and the criticism into the place where the battle is raging. This is where the world is waiting for you to show up. The way that Paul writes it in Romans 8.19, it says, For the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For God's daughters to be revealed. How are you revealed for Christ? It is showing up in the place where Jesus is. At the place where heaven and hell are warring for your world. And not showing up as a lomlel. I don't know what that is in English. As a, a passive person. I must ask Charlize Theron what Long Lel means in English. Can you believe this woman? Showing up at my job, showing up in my school, showing up at the university and just being there. Happy that I'm saved, happy that I'm going to heaven, happy that the whole world around me is going to hell in a handbasket. It is my prayer that you will be called because God has revealed to you and will be revealing to you where He needs you to show up to, how He needs to you to show up, and empowered by His Holy Spirit, how the world around you will be different because you understand the strategies of God and not only the heart of God. The heart of God will send you well beyond your own family, your own world, your own boyfriend, your own girlfriend, your own husband, your own wife. The heart of God will send you on a mission. But you can be so ineffective if you do not understand the strategies of God. And that's why the shift from the pastoral to the apostolic is happening in this world. For the nurturing to the doing is happening in this world if we open our eyes to it. 
You don't have to be in full-time ministry. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be anything other than what God has made you to be and placed you to operate. To be a warrior in His kingdom. To redeem the world back to Him. And I want to suggest to all of you that if you are of the mind and the heart and the spirit to be revealed in a new way as you step out of here, revealed in a new way as you step into your space of operation on Monday. I want to do what the elders did in, in uh, Acts 13. In Acts 13, as they were set apart, they were also commissioned. And then after they fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them off. And I want to invite you, if, you, if the Holy Spirit is tugging at you to be revealed in a new way, I want to commission you as one of the elders of this place. And commissioning just means blessing you with the power of the Holy Spirit for clarity as to your task and power to fulfill it. Because this is tough. It's a war. These are battles. If you are of that mind, this is no pressure, this is no peer pressure. This is the Holy Spirit speaking into your spirit. And you saying, God, I'm going to show up in a different way. And even if I don't understand what it looks like now, I'm going to show up in my quiet time and at church and community in a different way. I want to invite you to stand up and I want to do a commissioning prayer over you. So you can do that right now. If you are a person that feels that I know that I'm broken, I know that I've got issues, I know that I've got troubles, but I want to step up in a different way. There's no pressure whatsoever. If God is on a different check or a different journey with you, that's 100%. Let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, thank you for your heart for me that despite my misgivings and despite my circumstance and despite all of the things that I've just done wrong, that you still use me in the war for good and for light. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will infuse each and every person in this room and under the sound of my voice with your clarity, with your understanding of the steps that they need to take. And then also the clarity of strategy and the power to maintain every step that you send us on. I commission them in the name of the Father and the Holy, Holy Spirit as warriors in this battle that is raging around us. I pray for their protection. I pray for their health. I pray for their, their mental health, their physical health. I pray for their families. I pray for a cloud of angels to surround them as they step into a new space tomorrow. I pray this in the most holy name that I know, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can take your seats.